Support comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies. Held on select Fridays in May, each film touches upon artist Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, kicking off with Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro on May 10th at nortonsimon.org. Support for LAist comes from Pasadena Water and Power. Every individual's actions matter in preserving resources. Join the ripple effect to build a more resilient water future. Learn more about water programs, workshops, and ways to save at pwpweb.com slash the ripple effect. It's Film Week on LAist 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle. Wonderful to have you with us. And I'm joined this week by critics Tim Cogshell. Tim writes for Synagogues.com and Alt Film Guide, and Manuel Betancourt, who's contributing editor at Film Quarterly. We begin with The Miracle Club. It's a comedy in wide release starring Laura Linney, Kathy Bates, Maggie Smith, Agnes O'Casey, and Stephen Ray. Thaddeus O'Sullivan directed The Miracle Club. Manuel, what did you think of it? I... I enjoy this. Um, so this is set in the 1960s in Ireland, and it follows uh, Laura Linney as she's coming back after uh, 40 years. And um, she embarks on a trip with uh, a cousin of hers and an old friend of her mother who has just passed uh, to go to Lourdes because um, they are all seeking a miracle. Um, some of them are seeking it for their health. Some of them are seeking it for... Um, the health of their child, uh, but it becomes a film about reconciliation because uh, something happened 40 years ago that sort of disrupted their lives and it's sort of best left uh, unspoiled. Um, but it sort of follows sort of their um, kind of maudlin trip uh, to Lourdes and to sort of find their way back into one another. Uh, to me, it was a little bit maudlin. It gets a little weepy and sentimental. It's sort of kind of outdated. Uh, but the acting, the acting in this movie is fantastic. You have Laura Linney, you have Kathy Bates, you have Maggie Smith. Quite a cast. Quite a cast. And um, I really can't fault a movie that finds Kathy Bates and Maggie Smith singing 1960s sort of almost doo-wop songs uh, for our enjoyment. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a little sentimental for my own taste. Mm. I was going to say, I would expect it to be sentimental, that that kind of be with, with it even called the Miracle right. Club, that is sort of, <laughs> you know, that that's what audiences would go wanting to see, I would think, if not critics. Yeah, exactly. And it is, you know, I think it does have very touching moments and it does have very interesting discussions about uh, faith and belief and atonement and uh, sort of how um, we can reinvent ourselves and really think about compassion and, you know, how we can heal old bruises and old scars. Um, so in that sense, it, it is very much the movie that, you know, the dogline is selling, the kind of the title that it's selling. So, um, yeah. The Miracle Club uh, was written by Joshua D. Maurer, Timothy Breaker, and Jimmy Samelhorn. It's rated PG-13 and in wide release. A Fire uh, is a romantic comedy drama starring Thomas Schubert, 
Uh, Christian Petzold is the director and writer of A Fire. Tim. I guess we'll go with that. I guess we'll go with that. A Fire, <laughs> very interesting, very clever title that they're doing using here. This is an, uh, an emotionally mature film about uh, an emotionally immature character. Mm-hmm. G- generally speaking, I would say it's lovely. It's also heartbreaking. Beautifully made. The settings, the performances, all, all very, very good. There are basically only four people in this movie. We meet two of them right at the beginning, these two young men, Leon and Felix. They're driving out to this uh, house in the Baltics near the sea and bumped up against this forest. This forest is on fire. A fire. Uh, but they're going to, everybody keeps saying, oh, the fire's way over there. It's in the distance. It's okay. It's all fine. Now, one of the problems with this movie is that everybody keeps saying, it's all fine. So you know it's and not. And you know it's not. <laughs> so, okay. Right. We'll, we, we'll deal with that. Nevertheless, they're there ostensibly to work on their uh, respective projects. Uh, Leon is a writer. He's writing a book. He has his uh, editor coming to see him at the end of this little stay out of this house. Felix is a photographer. He's going to work on his portfolio now. Leon is very serious about this work. I'm working, I'm working, working, working. And, and Felix is like, well, you know, I'm going to get inspired by something. They get to the house, and there's this woman at the house, Paula Beer, the extraordinarily beautiful Paula Beer. Leon is not happy about this at all. He does not want her there. He wants to be alone and work. Felix is like, whatever, man. Two other characters are going to come to this movie, a handsome uh, lifeguard and, uh, of course, uh, Leon's uh, uh, publisher. And we're going to have this movie uh, about that emotional maturity and, and what it takes to gain it and what gaining that emotional maturity will do to your work as an artist. Um, but it is tragic. It is tragic. We're talking about the film of fire. What do you think, Manuel? I, I this is a masterful film. It, it's truly surprising, and it's hard to put to words. I, I, Tim, I think you sort of set it up perfectly because the more you start telling about its story, I think uh, the thing I enjoyed the most was like I didn't really know where it was going. Mm. It's constantly surprising, and it has sort of a kind of novelistic approach to its characters. So everything unfolds very slowly and very carefully. Um, so I loved it. I think this is a film about ideas about emotion um it's sort of about what happens with about the perils and promises of fiery emotions right not just jealousy and envy but also desire and it sort of it it has this beautiful and sort of confounding climax that brings it all together and has a you know a final scene that it's 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 it truly brings it together in a, in a wonderful you're, way you're I doing a it. great job of selling this <laughs> i gotta go see it this yes. sounds, yeah. sounds very compelling and it sounds like the acting because there are just four four characters right is yeah is quite... extremely naturalistic uh and, and deeply emotionally felt you all you never don't believe a moment that's there, and the moments never walk down the path that yeah. you expect. You, uh, there, there's, there's a movie that you expect when you first start watching this film. You see the beautiful girl, the two boys, that movie. <laughs> and it is uh, feelings like that emerge in the movie, but it's not that movie. We're talking about A Fire. It's in German with English subtitles. It's unrated, and the film is at the American Cinematheque's Los Feliz Theater and Lemley's Royal Theater in West Los Angeles. Theater Camp, comedy starring Ben Platt, Molly Gordon, and Noah Galvin. It's directed by Gordon and Nick Lieberman. It's written by Noah Galvin, Molly Gordon, Nick Lieberman, and Ben Platt. So there you have it. The writers, directors, actors all together in Theater Camp. Manuel? I love this film. This is probably one of the funniest films I've seen uh, this year. Uh, I think the title is both perfect a description and also a kind of call to arms because this is a film made for theater kids, for Broadway babies, for anyone who's obsessed with Sondheim, with Broadway shows, with Tony Award nominations, with divas. 
Uh, it's both earnest and broad, self-serious and hilarious. Uh, it takes place at a theater camp uh, who's lost their fearless leader who's gone into a coma. And in true Muppets style, you know, all the camp counselors and the kids uh, have to put on a show to save the camp from being sold off uh, to sort of uh, some corporate overlords who are clearly going to like sell it by sell it. Um, through parts. Uh, it's a mockumentary in the style of Waiting for Guffman. And it then ends up revolving around a musical that the camp creates about the the leader who's now in a, in a coma called Joan. And it is truly <laughs> absurd and hilarious. And, you know, Ben Platt and Molly Gordon and Noah Galvin and the entire cast is just having the time of their lives, creating this sort of like mockumentary musical about theater kids. Uh, it has theater kid energy, so it's going to be really, it is really broad. It has a lot of inside jokes. I'm curious how it plays to someone who's not obsessed with uh, theater and Broadway, uh, as I am. But I had a great time, and I'm excited to watch it over and over again because there are Easter eggs and laughs and jokes that I am sure I missed because I was laughing so hard. This, by the way, was the winner of the uh, U.S. Dramatic Special Jury Award for Ensemble at this year's Sundance Film Festival, so clearly an audience pleaser. Theater Camp uh, is rated PG-13, and it's in select AMC theaters. We continue on Film Week with... uh, the sci-fi mystery film Bird Box Barcelona, starring Mario Casas and Georgina Campbell. It's written and directed by David and Alex Pastor, filmmaking brothers. Tim. Yeah, yeah, the brothers who gave us Bird Box, same same team here doing this, which is very good because, you know, they're very cognizant of what they've already done, of what the framework is of this movie. And here, uh, we're in Barcelona, and we have the exact same framework. We're kind of at the beginning of it all again. We see it all sort of go down. We have this father. He has a daughter. He has a wife. Uh, the thing that happened in the first Bird Box thing uh, starts to happen. People see this what? What is it? I don't know. We don't know. We never know what it is, right? But they go bananas and commit suicide. He has to get home, get his daughter, uh, get his wife. Hmm. Doesn't work out. <laughs> Nevertheless, we find ourselves in this movie where we understand the rules, but here they're going to give us a little bit more story. We're going we're gonna to understand that there are people who see the thing that we still don't see in this movie but they don't commit suicide. And what those people are doing and how they're interacting with this dynamic is a new element that we have here, which I think is very bright of the film. You can't just do it again. you got to give us a little bit more, push us forward in the narrative a little bit more, yet maintain that we're not going to show you a thing uh, that Hitchcock was so good mm-hmm. at yeah. uh, and that M. Night was so terrible at. So, <laughs> so, so, so that's what they managed to do here, and they pull this thing off Again, I got to tell you, I was super duper surprised. What did you think, Manuel? I think I think you enjoyed it more than, more than mm-hmm. I did. Uh, to me, it felt a little. It, it is doing a lot of very different things. Uh, the thing to talk about is that there's a kind of Catholic metaphor that it's really being sort of developed about what it means to see to. Um, I don't want to give anything away. And it's, it's hard to hard. Talk, it's hard to talk about this movie and talk about the kind of twist that it does. Because mm. at the beginning you do think you're just seeing, you know, Birdbox <laughs> two and this time with just we're we're in Barcelona. But it actually is sort of doing that kind of Shyamalan twist in a very much more um sophisticated way. Uh to me it, in a way it sometimes it did feel like it was like treading um sort of very 
familiar ground, especially when it came to sort of the action sequences. That there's only so many ways you can you can't see things, but then eventually you're forced to see the thing, and then things go haywire. Um, so I was most curious about the sort of like um, Catholic kind of undertones, and mm. I, I wish it had been a little bit more developed. But of course, it can't be because it needs to remain sort of very ambiguous for the thrills to sort of uh, take place and be enjoyed. Mm. The original film, A Bird Box, by the way, came out in December of 2018. It was directed by Suzanne Beer. Uh, this uh, new version, directed by the Pastor brothers, David and Alex, starring Mario Casas, Bird Box Barcelona is streaming on Netflix. It's in Spanish with English subtitles, and it's rated R. The documentary The League takes us back to baseball's Negro Leagues, the great players who played, its influence on American culture, and, of course, the reverence with which uh, so many of those great players uh, are, are considered today. Sam Pollard is the director of the film. Manuel, what did you think of The League? I really, I mean, for someone who does not care about baseball, I was totally engrossed. Um, mostly because this is a story about baseball and about sort of the Negro Leagues in the late 19th and early 20th century. Um, but of course, it's a sport history that can't, you can't tell that history without telling a history of white nationalism, without telling a history of the violence against African Americans. And, you know, Sam Pollard was, it sort of makes sense that he would be drawn to the story. Um, and excavated with a lot of archival imagery, archival videos, archival photographs, and also a slew of very, what I found very engaging um, interviews and testimonials, both with former players um, and a former umpire, um, but also historians that are trying to give you context as to how the move from these segregated leagues into integration um, may not be the happy story that um, you may think, um, just because it talks about the way the leagues actually had created thriving communities and businesses, an entire ecosystem that as soon as integration happens sort of are decimated. So I, I, I really enjoyed it as a history lesson. Um, I really enjoyed it. To me, this is history not that you study, but that you learn from. And I think Pollard, for me, has constantly done that in his work. And this is just another um, great instance of it happening here. We're talking about the sports documentary, The League, which is based on the book, The Negro Leagues, by Bob and Byron Motley. Tim, what do you think of The League? Ex- extraordinary. Bo- both the history and the filmmaking here yeah. are extraordinary, particularly all those uh, fantastic archival interviews. Uh, there's almost no mo- there are almost no modern people in this movie. Uh, uh, everybody in this movie is dead. Uh, but there they are, uh, players and umpires and people who were there at the time, their children, um, are talking about this from the first person, I, we, what we did. Uh, and I love that about, about this, this film. And the film also describes um, a, a history that, frankly, I didn't know about. Now, I knew that there was uh, a, a Negro, more than one Negro League developed over the course of years. I knew that. I did not know that Negro League players played with white players in the uh, previous century. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did not know that. I did not know that Jackie Robinson most certainly was not the first professional uh, uh, black basketball in a professional league. Um, so, so many new things did have come to me. I, I grew up in St. Louis, Bob Gibson. Bob Gibson mm-hmm. was the first uh, black uh, baseball player to go into the Hall of Fame who did not play in the Negro Leagues. Uh, and he's ex- just an extraordinary film. Well, and, and so many incredible personalities, mm-hmm. not just great talented players, but stories. And I hope the film got into that as well because some incredible 
people as well as talented players. The League is the documentary directed by Sam Pollard. Amir Questlove Thompson executive produced the documentary. It's rated PG and it's at Lemley's Monica Film Center in Santa Monica. More movies to come in just a minute. Support for LAS comes from Latino Theatre Company at the Los Angeles Theatre Center, presenting the world premiere of Ghost Waltz by Oliver Mayer, a bold original recovery of Juventino Rosas, one of Mexico's most significant composers. Follow Rosas from his father's early death to his friendship with ragtime genius Scott Joplin, now on stage through June 2nd. Tickets and information at latinotheaterco.org. Support for LAist comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies, held on select Fridays in May. Each film touches upon Spanish artist Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, including Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro and The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie by Luis Buñuel. Screenings are at 4.30 p.m. on four consecutive Fridays starting May 10th. More information at nortonsimon.org. It's Film Week on LAS 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle, joined by critics Manuel Betancourt and Tim Cogshell. Right before our break, our critics touted the new sports documentary, The League, about baseball's Negro Leagues. We have another sports documentary to talk about, Black Ice, which takes a look at some of the important historic hockey players like Willie O'Ree, who was the first uh, black player in the National Hockey League. Hubert Davis is the director of the documentary. Tim? To explain exactly what's going on in this film, uh, you can think about what we were just talking about with respect to the league, Jackie Robinson, 1942. So Willie is still alive. Think about that for a second. I didn't know he was still living. Yeah, uh, and and doing well. But it also tells you how long the exact same phenomena took uh, in hockey as it took it. Now, most of this is actually set in Canada, uh, and most of the black folks. We, to be honest with you, I, I did not know that this that as many black folks speaking in this movie, including contemporary uh, black hockey players, had actually played hockey and professional hockey. I didn't realize it still hasn't been very many. And much of what they're talking about here is how difficult it still is for black folks to break their way into, work into, and become professional hockey players. A good chunk of this movie is about that. And then that history, again, with the archival footage of these hockey players from a hundred years ago playing in uh, this village, it was called Africa, Africa Town or something like that, this village up in Canada where all these black folks lived, and they came up there um, uh, after emancipation and before emancipation, you know, on the uh, Underground Railroad. And they built these communities all over Canada. And what did they do? They played hockey. Larry, I grew up in St. Louis. Because that's what you do. That's what you do. I grew up in St. Louis with the Blues. Blues. Gigantic. Yeah, yeah. To be honest oh, yeah. with you, I, the I, Planker I, Brothers. I, all, yeah. I never became a hockey fan. Really? <laughs> no black folks on that Blues team. Yeah. My entire, yeah. my entire, you know, we had the Cardinals, we had the Cardinals, but no black. And it's an interesting thing, and they talk about it in this film. It's changing a little bit, but not as much as you would think. The documentary Black Ice is rated R, won the People's Choice Award at the Toronto International Film Festival, and you can see Black Ice in select AMC theaters. The drama Earth Mama stars Tia Namor. Uh, the film's written and directed by Savannah Leaf. Manuel, please tell us about Earth Mama. I I was blown away by this film. This is a I think this is um, incredibly powerful. So writer, director Savannah Leaf, um, to me, has created a 
a really raw portrait, a beautifully raw portrait of, of motherhood arrested. Um, the film follows Gia, um, who is a young pregnant mother who's currently fighting to get her two small children out of the foster care system. Um, and she's trying to do this all while battling um, an addiction, um, paperwork, bureaucracy, just her day-to-day work. And sort of she's trying to figure out a way and trying to find help to get out of the cycle of poverty and getting out of the cycle of being disenfranchised by a system that clearly sees no use in her and sees no use in her succeeding. Um, And so we watch her as she struggles just with her day to day as she gets into her car and goes to work and sees friends and um, fights with her roommates and fights with her friends and fights with her caseworker. And uh, she you can both see her trying to do her best and always and constantly sort of failing. Uh, This is a film made with such empathy and compassion for her. Uh, it's also beautifully shot. I think it has this sort of um, sort of uh, desaturated, sort of gauzy kind of feel um, so that even when it feels super naturalistic and very real and raw, there's these ethereal moments of magical realist moments that really yank you out from thinking that this is just a documentary. This is really um, made with a lot of care. And I, I was just, yeah. I was blown it away says by this. It, it's set in the East Bay. Do you know specifically where it was filmed? I was just curious. I, I don't know in the East Bay, but she um, is sort of really grounded in that community. Yeah. And you see her um, throughout. You also get these testimonials from other mothers who are also experiencing this. And sort of they become uh, the support system for each other. So you get a strong sense of place mm-hmm. in, yeah. in the film. We're talking about the drama Earth Mama starring Tia Namor. Tim. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's, it's interesting um, because this this could be difficult. These women, uh, they're all pregnant and they all have children. Their children have been taken away from them and put in, in foster care. Uh, and uh, and they, they, they stand the chance of losing the very children that they're carrying right now if they do not do all of these things that are required by, by the system. And I got to tell you, I, I love the way this is constructed because she makes you work hard to empathize with these young mm. women. These young women are sometimes their worst enemies. Uh, and uh, but she still by she I mean Savannah uh, she still makes you listen to them uh, and uh, and you have to simply overcome that that desire that you have to just grab these and, and, say get it together yeah, yeah. <laughs> would you please would you please but she gets you there she gets you to that point of empathy uh, and uh, that's some hard work in filmmaking right there. That's high praise, and she's a first-time director. Yeah, yeah. Olympic gold medalist. She was on the uh, UK volleyball team back in 2012. Wow. We're talking about Savannah Leaf, the writer and director of Earth Mama, starring Tia Namor. The film's rated R, and it's at Landmark's New Art Theater in West Los Angeles. The uh, horror comedy Final Cut is directed by uh, Michelle Hazavanicius, I always have a hard time with that pronunciation. <laughs> I'm not going to say The director it. of The Artist uh, and uh, his wife, Berenice Bejo, uh, also uh, is one of the stars of the film Final Cut. Tim, what'd you think? Yeah, yeah, these Academy Award winning uh, uh, filmmakers here making this, this, this horror movie, this sort of, on first look, silly looking horror movie about a horror movie within a horror movie. We've all seen this movie before. This one, they're making this zombie movie, and as they're making this zombie movie, zombies attack. And you ask yourself, I mean, yeah, 
how come these are are making and they're not of course making that movie now this is an adapted from a very um a cult uh, 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 japanese film uh one cut of the dead from Enishiro Yudita and uh, Rishio Wada it's a very very popular film 2017 15 16 something like that so if you know that film you'll know what's going this is it okay uh, what's going on but if you don't know that film and you're watching this one you watch this bad horror movie being made by Roman D. Rose and all that. You're like, okay, this is terrible. And then that movie ends about 40 minutes into this movie. So you got like another hour. And that's when this movie actually starts. And you realize, ow, <laughs> that's what's going on. And I got to tell you, if you can hang in there through that bad horror movie that they're making, that bad zombie movie, the rest of this movie, it's very sharp. It's socially conscious. Uh, but it's also about the movie industry. And it's also all about making movies the way they used to, with buckets of blood and, uh, you know, stuff like that. A Final Cut is unrated. It's in French and Japanese with English subtitles. You can see it at uh, several of the Lemley theaters, including the Claremont, uh, Newhall, and NoHo Cinemas. Two Tickets to Greece, a comedy from France, written and directed by Marc Fatoussi. Uh, the film's in French with English subtitles. Manuel, what did you think of Two Tickets to Greece? I feel like we've we've had these two double features that we could make. So we could do Black Ice mm-hmm. and the League, and then you could do the Miracle Club and Two Tickets to Greece. I was wondering. Because this, uh, in this case, we follow um, Blendine, a middle-aged woman who's sort of struggling with uh, sort of getting over her divorce. And she's supposed to go on this trip to Greece that she's long wanted to go uh, on ever since she was in middle school. And her teenage son basically says, no, I don't, I'm not going to, but remember that friend of yours that you had in middle school that you haven't talked to since I found her on Facebook she wants to see you and actually the two of you are going to be shipped together and you're going to take this trip to Greece which feels of course like a setup for hijinks gone wrong Blandine is sort of tightly wound and hasn't really gone out much uh, doesn't take a lot of risks and her friend Magali is the life of the party she doesn't plan she's a little bit of a scammer uh, and so it becomes about how the two of them the sort of odd couple how they make their way through the Grecian Isles and you know learn to find a new life and reconcile and uh, how to move on together. Uh, and it also features Kristen Scott Thomas uh, as, uh, you know, a, a woman who then joins them in the in this uh, reinvention tour uh, through the Greek Isles. Does it work? Mm. Yeah. It's, yeah. And it's it's really enjoyable. I, I think the actresses are having a great time. Uh, I'm clearly not maybe the demographic for it, but I had an enjoyable time. It's sort of amiable. It's lighthearted. And, you know, it is a little bit about reinvention yourself and rekindling sort of the inner middle school girl you once were and you should let yourself be again. And what actor's going to turn down a chance to go on location in Greece and shoot a movie? Yeah. That's a pretty, pretty good gig. <laughs> Two Tickets to Greece is unrated in French with English subtitles. Mark Fatoussi is the writer and director. Laura Kalami uh, is the uh, actor, uh, stars in it, along with Olivia Cote. Uh, Tim, what do you think of Two Tickets to Greece? Oh, I, I, I agree completely. It, when, the first scene of this movie, we, when we meet them, they're, they're those two little middle school girls. And they're, they're uh, listening to the Gypsy Kings and stealing <laughs> wine. 
<laughs> it's all Miracle's idea. And and you can just see that. It was just all so soon. And then, boom, 30 years later. And um, uh, she's just been divorced, and she has that son, and she's really sort of fallen into herself. So he reintroduces her to her old friend. And then you get this very, very familiar movie. Uh, I'm a little bit older than you, so, <laughs> so I think I might have lived a little bit of this movie at some point in my life. So I think for folks from a certain period that this is going to just speak to you, my, my inner teenage girl just jumped off. <laughs> <laughs> Two Tickets to Greece is unrated. It's at Lemley's Monica Film Center and Regal Edwards Theater in Long Beach. Joke Man, a biographical documentary about Jackie Martling, the comedian, uh, and it features many people who were part of Howard Stern's radio universe. Ian Carr is the director of Joke Man. Tim. Yeah, yeah, I was one of those folks who listened to the Howard Stern show way back in the 80s through the middle 90s before he went off to Sirius. And jo- and Jackie Martling, of course, was a big part of that, Baba Booey and all those folks. And so people who were, uh, you know, engaged in that during that period will know exact exactly who Jackie is. Uh, of course, that all went bad. And the way that that uh, was shaped in the media, it was Jackie who was uh, unreasonable and this, that, and all these kind of things, and it all went bad. Now, the only two people not from that universe in this movie are Howard Stern and Robin. Everybody else who was in that universe is in this movie, and they all love Jackie. Uh, they, they all regale Jackie as one of the most generous, wonderful, funniest, best guys on the planet. And they, and they say straight up, the way that was constructed in the media, not true. Not true at all. Jackie Martling is a wonderful fellow, and Jackie's all over this movie, telling bad jokes, bad jokes, bad <laughs> jokes. Uh, he, he, he wrote for Rodney Dangerfield back in the 70s. Wow. Uh, is it true he remembers every joke he's ever heard since he, he was a kid? He has this bit that he does where he brings arbitrary people up on stage, and they start a joke, and he finishes it. Wow. And, uh, and, and he finishes. Now, who knows? A lot of those jokes can finish a lot of different ways, so he might just be really bright. But he can do it. But, uh, you know, we, we get this picture of a guy, 70 years old now, um, who had a life in comedy, didn't make a lot of money, didn't become known like, you, you won't, we don't know him like we know Jerry and Jay and all of these, these kind of folks. But he was right there with all of them, and all of them are in this movie. Uh, as is Willie Nelson, Penn Jillette, and others. Joke Man is unrated. The uh, documentary biography is available on demand uh, starting next Tuesday. The Jewel Thief is a crime documentary directed by Landon Van Soost. Manuel, what's it about? So it is about uh, Gerald Blanchard, um, who grew up in... Um, both in Canada and in Omaha. And he is, if we are to believe everyone who tells you this in the first 10 minutes of the film, one of the greatest uh, criminal masterminds of the world. He's sort of like a James Bond, but, you know, playing for the wrong team because he created these very elaborate heists, uh, including one uh, of a very famous jewel um, that, you know, defy belief that no one understands how he did it. He might have parachuted in. He might, right? It almost sounds like, you know, we're in the Mission Impossible week. And I feel like it almost sounds like um, he Tied for that. Yeah, yeah, tied for that. Uh, And sort of in in a very sort of straightforward way, we're being told the story of how he was this like uh, nerdy white kid who was trying to find thrills in his life in a sort of like kind of um, um, rough neighborhood as he sort of describes it and he went from petty thievery and sort of shoplifting to creating these like credit card frauds all over the world and gallivanting and jet setting and the thing is he recorded all of this mm. so um, most of the film and the documentary is made up of all these uh, VHS tapes that he taped with this like giant uh, um, tape recorder that he had at the time and so there's all this archival material and there's all these interviews with him 
He only served eight years in, in not even eight years. He was sentenced to eight years. Um, and he's telling this in a very cocky and condescending way. And yeah, this I did this and I got away with it. And yeah, the cops were spying on me and they tapped my phone, my phone, but they never caught me. And you'll never catch me on tape actually saying, but if I had done it, this is maybe how I would have done it. And so this there's a way in which like this isn't so much a portrait of uh, Mastermind as a self-portrait. Like he hmm. really dominates well, it. And, and how it, do you feel about morally watch? Because just as you're describing, Describing it, I feel like I might have a problem with it. Yeah, that this was the thing, and sort of it's the hard tone that the the documentary sort of has a hard time striking because he does dominate, and it's hard not to then be bowled over, but then also getting annoyed at the fact that he's dominating. And you have cops who are talking about how annoying and infuriating he was, and sort of you're driven to that. But to me, there was a um, there's a d- discomfort in that, and it also it's sold. You know, the imagery is very Bond-like and the opening credits and the song and the score. So it almost feels like um, not a glamorizing because, of course, th- there's still that. But there is a discomfort in, in while you're watching that. I don't know how intentional that was. Mm. The Jewel Thief is the crime documentary. It's streaming on Hulu, directed by Landon Van Soost, rated TVMA. Our Film Week critics joining us, and in a moment I'll be joined by Amy Nicholson. We're going to be talking with second unit director and stunt coordinator for the new Mission Impossible film, Wade Eastwood. He'll be with us coming right up after the break. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps. 